Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Alex and Pastor Gary is out of town on, on some vacation time. If you wave backwards, he's probably watching at least a little bit. I know I know he watched the first service, but good morning, Pastor. And uh, thank you for your, your trust. And again, thank you for all of you that heard I was speaking. You came anyway. It really, really is awfully sweet of you to be here this morning. Thank you. And uh, we have a, a, a good message this morning, a tough message this morning. It's something that we all need to hear. It's Father's Day, but I tell you, it's something that applies to all of us. Uh, Pastor Gary asked me to speak on Father's Day, and you know, and he, he said some very kind things last week. And the more I thought about it, and the idea of giving like a testimony kind of message didn't feel right for me because... What I have at home, not everybody has at home. I have a, I'm blessed with a supportive wife. I've got great kids that, don't, that have barely ever given me a headache outside of little silly stuff. I've got amazing grandkids. And, and, and I've just got nothing but a great support system at home. And, and, and I thought to myself, not everybody has that. So for me to get up here and brag about how good I've got it didn't make sense. I can tell you what we do and how we do it. But I'm going to use God's word this morning out of the book of Colossians to encourage you this morning to know that if you're sitting next to somebody today that you love, but it's not the same as it used to be. If your relationships aren't the same with your spouse or a child or a different loved one or somebody within this body in the church, there's hope. And it takes work. We have to do the work, but praise God, you don't have to do it alone. And in so many ways, the key is for you to not to do it alone. And if you're sitting here by yourself today and that loved one you're thinking of right now is home or in a different state, you can be the best you that you can be. And that will cause a change. But we're going to learn about that today. And we're going to, I call that family fixes for that reason. Uh, not just a Father's Day message. We're going to get into a little bit of Father's Day message at the towards the end. But still, that will apply to all of us as well. And uh, we're just starting right there in the book of the third chapter. Paul was writing to the church of Colossae. And uh, they were, you know, just like any other church, having some problems here and there. And it was an early church. They didn't have the Bible yet. The letters were being written that were later incorporated into the Bible. So they were getting preached to. Paul would show up or, or Timothy or, you know, one of the other uh, great writers of the Bible or just a, one of the apostles or a different missionary would, would appear, speak, teach them and then move on. And then the church would oftentimes kind of stray backwards a little bit because no one was there to, to necessarily lead and to teach and to, to guide. So Paul wrote these letters to these churches to try to help them get back on track. So in the church problems that they were facing in Colossae are really similar to what everybody faces in their day-to-day -day lives. Ritual worship. The idea of ritual worship is doing the same thing over and over and over again where it has no meaning anymore. Jesus warned us towards prayer. Repeating something over and over again. Many faiths do that. They chant. It doesn't mean anything. And after a while, they actually, they, they've twisted it to make it seem like it's a good thing because like you've reached a meditative state of some sort. No, you're bored. And you're not paying attention anymore to what you're saying. You're falling asleep on yourself. 
And that can happen in the church as well as your home. They were struggling with angel worship. They took their eyes off of Jesus and they started to focus on angels instead. Through doing that, they started depreciating or devaluing Christ. Jesus was no longer the center of their worship. Jesus was slowly sliding down the totem pole of importance and they started to seek secret knowledge or the word Gnostic. Maybe you've heard that word Gnostic before. It's a man-made truth. And I do that in parentheses. And it took, it was, they were using it to take God's word's place. It's kind of like what we do today in so many ways. We'll get to that in a second, though. Family life can be a lot like church life. We can get into rituals. Our day-to-day, our nine-to-five grind, we can get so caught up into doing the same thing all of the time, we lose sight of what's important. That person that when you were dating, you couldn't wait to get on the phone with them, you couldn't wait to see them, now you maybe take the long way home to get home. Now you're kind of sitting in the car staring at the garage for a bit before you walk in the door. Those are sad truths, and you don't have to live like that. But we get into the ritual, the regular day-to-day where we don't take each other nearly as seriously or as important as we once did. We all love to feel love. Like I said, you know, what I believe heaven's going to be is the idea that, that God is all-encompassing, all-loving, all-accepting, because we're going to be made perfect in His image at that point. Who doesn't want to feel that? And chances are you're with somebody who one time made you feel that way. And the same thing, vice versa. You made them feel that way. But we can get so caught up in our day-to-day, we can take each other, worst thing, for granted. We can just get so lazadaisical because they're always going to be there until they're not. So we have to be careful not to get lost in our ritual worship day-to-day life. We forget who we should be focused on in our homes. As husbands, we should be focused laser light on our wives. Wives, laser light on your husbands. And then together as parents, together as parents, not one-on-one, not separate, but together focused on those kids. They weren't focused on Jesus anymore. They were focused on angels. So Paul was writing them, trying to correct them on that. We can lose focus on what our priorities should be. And it's easy to do. We have honey-do lists. We have jobs that demand a lot. We have friends that are always calling and wanting to do this, that, or the other. And those are good things. We have to work. We have to focus on other stuff. But I tell you what, if we are not careful, we're going to forget the most important things that got us to where we are to begin with. That person that's sharing your home with you loves you and you love them. But if you're not showing that through letting them know that they're a priority, choosing to make them a priority, they'll realize it after a while. And things will begin to change in your home for the worse. We start looking away from God's word when we want to fix the problems we develop. And this is the whole idea of Gnostic knowledge. That's what they started to do. We don't need self-help books. We don't need Dr. Phil. We don't need people to tell us how to do things because generally, if you take their advice, if it's good advice, and you start to deconstruct it, 
It leads right back to God's word. If it's solid, if it's good advice, you can get it right from the source without it being watered down, without paying $19.95 for a book at the airport to read because you're trying to figure out how you want to fix whatever it is going on in your lives. Go back to God's word. Take the time. It's funny how we'll read books, we'll read magazines, but we won't read God's Word. And you're going to see here in a moment, Paul spells it out so clearly, so easily, things we can do to make things better. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul was exposing the ways the Colossi church had things wrong. And now in 3, he's teaching them how to fix the problems. Praise God, Paul wasn't a guy that just like complained, said, you guys stink, and then like walked out the door. He gave you advice, gave biblical advice. A lot of people don't understand this. There's a reference that Paul writes that after, you know, Jesus had died, we we know the road... um, the, the road, uh, forgive me, I'm forgetting the word, but the, the, when, when Paul had, was blinded and then he regained his sight, there's a time after that where Paul says he actually had one-on-one teachings with a risen Christ. He was given one-on-one teachings. The apostles were with Jesus during his ministry, but Paul was with the risen Christ. So he has, he's got information here that's well worth listening to, and it's no wonder so much of the New Testament is made up of his writings. Colossians says, therefore, you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. Where are your focus? Where's your priorities today? And if this next part is the only part you get out of what I say this morning... It's, it's a great thing to not forget. Please don't forget this next verse. Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you're saved here today, and you've accepted Christ into your heart, if you're a new believer, you're a, if you're a born-again Christian today, see now. They shouldn't see you anymore. They should see who? Jesus. You are dead in Him. He is, you are representing him now. If you are with your friends, if you're with your family and nothing has changed since you've become a new believer, I beg you, search your heart. Make sure you are right with God. Make sure you've locked that in. And if you've locked it in, it's time to start getting into God's word and start putting some of these things to work. You don't want to make it to heaven and get in by the skin of your teeth. It's not that it's not that hard for us to do right. It's not that hard for us to, to strive to do better. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to always be able to do it by ourselves. But praise God, in a moment we'll see, you don't have to do it by yourself. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we must decide to focus on Him and not things of this world. If we put Jesus first, everything else falls in the line. If we put His Word first, everything else will fall into line. This is how we have to think when it comes to our families and relationships as well. See, now remember, Paul was talking to the church here at this point, but all this stuff applies. What is a church made of? People, right? People make up the church. It's in a building, I get it, but the church is people. Jesus, you know, where the bridegroom is the church, the building isn't the bridegroom. You are. And if these relationship ideas work for the church, they work at home as well. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Not today, 
sorry, now is not our time to shine. It's Jesus' time to shine. The fields are white and ready for harvest. Time is ticking. I bet you not a single person in this room that knows anything about end times has in the last few years thought, huh, are we getting close? Can anybody hear the, the gallop of the horses yet? I don't know if it's, it could be now, it could be, it could be a, a thousand years from now. I don't know. I don't claim this is the end times as Revelation states, but I tell you what, we're all going to face our own end time. Everyone in this room is going to die someday. So let's make the most. Let's make the most of it. So if we treat our, spi- our spouses like this and we understand that we get to share the spotlight with them and not overshadow or control them, it's not our time to shine. We can look at it that way in our relationships as well. Do we have a dominating, domineering person in our lives? Are you that dominating person that controls everything? You don't have to be. You don't have to be. Share the spotlight with the ones that you love. Therefore, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, the worship of money. It is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience are us, are even fallen angels. These are the things that God hates. He hates sin. And your loved ones do too. All the stuff I just read, sexual immorality, greed, anything profane, your loved ones hate it. If you go home and act like a fool, they're not happy. If you're, if you're, if you're the one who's receiving it, you know you're not enjoying that, that, that chaotic behavior. We can be better. We can do better. And Colossians also says, And in them you once walked when you were living in them. The God of this world... Prince and power of the air, Satan, the sons of disobedience. These are all things we were a part of before we changed sides, before we accepted our adoptive father, we, uh, the father that took us in, the father that loves us and forgave us of our sins. So we have to really, truly be aware that it's not okay. It's not okay for us to continue living as we once did before we were saved. We are forgiven for our past, so we should be forgiving to others as well. Now, this is where the rubber really does hit the road in our relationships, doesn't it? If somebody is trying in your house to do better, if you are trying to do better, and you're going to fail, you're going to slide back, you're going to lose your patience, you're going to lose your temper, you're going to say the wrong thing, because the old, the old beast dies slowly. If somebody's really quick to go, oh, you didn't change. There it goes. There he is again. What good does that do to the person trying? How much more likely is that person going to give up if they're not encouraged and go, honey, that was wrong, but I know you're trying. Thank you for trying. Let's try again. And I know you're sitting out here. Some of you may be going, well, you don't know what I've gone through all the years, all the years. You've been forgiven of all of your sins, a lifetime of sins. And you'll see here in a minute that you're supposed to be forgiving others the same way. 
Colossians goes on to say, but now you also rid yourselves of all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you were stripped off the old self and its evil practices. You have to put on your new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created you. We're going back to the blueprints. Your original design wasn't supposed to be so messed up. We can get back to being righteous through Jesus Christ. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, excuse me, slave and free, but in Christ is all and, and in all. The level ground at the cross is the key here. Nobody in any relationship is guilt-free. Nobody in any, in any marriage, uh, parent-child relationship, friend relationship is guilt-free if there's something going on wrong. There's always something one side or another. It could be as simple as, and I know sometimes it's very one-sided, but I know it could be as simple as seeing sin for years and never ever in a loving way calling them out on it and saying, listen, this is wrong in your life. You can be better than this. Why don't you come with me to church on Sunday? But instead we let it fester and fester and then, oh my goodness, now it's affecting my life and now I'm, you know, now I don't, I'm not going to talk to them anymore. Or I'm angry with them because, you know, they, they wronged me. We can help. We can help others. By being the best we can be, we can help others. We all have a chance for a fresh start because of our trust in the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That trust is everything. Without the blood, there's no hope. We have no hope of, of ever doing really much of anything right. Some people have it, are easier at it than others. Some people don't have a, a spirit of going out there and trying to cause problems everywhere. Some people just want to be friends. Some people just want to get along with everybody. But I tell you what, even that will fail over time without the blood of Christ. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. That word put, it's a choice in your relationships, in everything you do, no matter if it's here at church, if it's at home, it's with your kids. You have to put on a heart of compassion, of kindness, of humility, of gentleness and patience. You can't just expect it, like I said, first service. There's no magical wand where you get a bibbity bobbity boop moment and all of a sudden everything's better. We have to choose, choose to do the right thing. We have to decide to live like Christ in our homes and not just sitting here or at hospitality at church on Sunday. Nothing is worse, nothing is worse than being with your loved one at home and acting terrible, acting like a jerk at home. And then going out into public with your friends and with other ones or with strangers and acting like a completely different person. And man, everybody else gets the good side of you. And then you go home and the person that's committed their entire life to you gets all of the crap, gets all of the garbage, gets all of the pain, all the bad words, all of the hurt. It's not right. It's hard. But we aren't doing this under our own power, praise God. All of this stuff seems impossible, especially if you've done it your entire life. You've built so many walls in your life, you don't even know where to start. Well, the good news is you can start today. 
In the book of Galatians, we're promised that the fruit or the gifts of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There are no law. Those are all things that we get when we get the Holy Spirit. If you're not saved here today, if you haven't accepted Christ in your heart, you're the only one without an excuse. You have an excuse, excuse me, because you don't have the gifts of the Spirit yet. People are always focused on the the flamboyant, the, the louder gifts. These are the gifts that change lives. These are the gifts that make a difference when somebody's being difficult to show kindness, compassion, self control. Then they start to wonder. What's different about that person? Because they're not seeing you anymore. Who are they seeing? Jesus. That's right. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires. There goes that dying to self again. There goes that being dead in Christ again. Crucifying the physical stuff, the stuff that you want to do, the stuff that feels right at the wrong moment. If you put that stuff away, if you crucify it, if you kill it, you kill it a little bit every day, every time. You may fail, but then you kill it. You push back on it. Jesus has more room to move, more room to grow in you. We really don't have an excuse on, to live how we did before Jesus saved us. We can't be the same person today as we were before Christ came into our lives. Again, if we're the same person, if you don't see any change in your heart, please, please check yourself. Make sure you remember the moment you accepted Christ into your heart. And it's not something you did because you were with somebody pressuring you, somebody encouraging you to do so. Somebody, uh, I don't know, you just you liked the pastor at the time. So you felt like you wanted to go meet him. Make sure that you really put your faith in him. And if then you you still aren't seeing any fruit that we're talking about here, man, get into God's word. Talk to somebody. It's not always the wisest thing, maybe to talk to the person that we're hurting right away. Talk to somebody else. Talk to you. Talk to a pastor. You can come see me anytime and go, listen, I'm having problems in these departments. Verbalizing it sometimes helps. And then you go home and, and then you apologize and you, you, you ask for forgiveness and you ask for patience. Communication is so important, isn't it? Not only do we say we're sorry, but then we say, please have, be patient with me. I'm going to try really hard to be a different, better person. The person that you fell in love with initially. Now we're going back to Colossians 3. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whosoever has a complaint against anyone else, Just as the Lord forgave you, you must do also. So if you're the person in the room today or watching online and you're sitting here going, oh, he's talking to me. You know, I live with the saint. Well, your 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 saint spouse has a lot of work to do because forgiving is hard, isn't it? When we're done wrong, even if you don't want vengeance, you want justice. And if you don't get either one, you feel like you're shortchanged. You feel like nothing was done. No lesson was learned. But how about we try with the people we love the most, the people right closest to us, that when they repent and when they say they're sorry and when they show that they're trying, even if they fail, we continue to forgive them. Because what's the alternative? Keep doing what you're doing. Over time, it's going to crumble. The foundation will be gone. 
and things won't be the way they are today. If you're making bad decisions every day, if you're looking at things you shouldn't look at, if you're doing things you shouldn't do, today is the day that you start making better decisions. In addition to all these things, put on love. Again, there's that, that action. You have to put on love because it bonds perfectly unity. It, it, love is the key here. Without love, none of this stuff works. But can you love without forgiving? Can you say that you truly love somebody, but every time they do something wrong, even if it has nothing to do with whatever the situation you're dealing with at that moment is, you bring up something they did 10 years ago. Scripture says when God forgives us, our sins are pushed as far as from the east as to the west. That means forever, infinity, goodbye, never bring it up again. Again, there's that perfect love that you're going to experience in heaven someday. You're going to get to know full acceptance. And can we do that here? We can. It's hard. Again, it's work. You have to choose to. Things have to be talked about. The Bible even says, don't let the sun set on your wrath. You let something go long and long and long. It festers, it festers, it festers. And then they forget to take the trash out or something. And you're furious about something that happened five years ago. We all do it. We should talk things through. Because Peter wrote, above all, keep fervent. Fervent is an active word. It's not like just something that happens. It's not like, it's not, it's not like an accident. We choose to be fervent. We can get so into our ritualistic day of life, day-to-day existence, and we take for granted people that we know and that we love. We don't, we don't show that fervent love anymore. And if you, both sides of that coin, we feel it and we do it. And nothing feels worse when all of a sudden you realize so-and-so doesn't love me the way they used to. Well, the way we can fix that is start to show it, to fight back. Even if we're not feeling it 100%, you make steps and you tell people, I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I want a better world with you. I want a better life for us so that we can provide a better life for our children. Because you know what? Your kids are going to emulate whatever you're doing in your home. Whatever you're doing, they're going to do it. They're going to follow suit with whatever that is. So keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Colossians then, we go back to Colossians and it says, Let the peace of Christ, which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Remember, he's talking to the church still. I'm just saying this applies to the family. Let the word of Christ richly or incredibly abundantly Abundantly, I asked Roger to add that because richly, I just you know, it mean probably meant something different in the original Greek. It was probably a bigger word because a richly and abundantly, we're looking for overflowing. We're looking for the word of Christ to overflow out of you. You're so full of it that let it dwell within you because there's wisdom in there. Remember, they were after the Gnostic stuff. They were looking out to the world. They were calling Dr. Phil for advice when all the, the answers were here in God's Word. So with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Admonishing means correcting. Paul didn't say, bring up what happened last week. 
Paul didn't say, how about uh, let's let's argue over something that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Arguing doesn't come up. Admonishing means correcting. And what do he say? Another one another with psalms. Let's get into God's word and read read some psalms together, honey, before I choke you. <laughs> Hymns. It's hard to get mad and it's hard to, pr- to, to praise Jesus at the same time as you're telling your spouse off. You can't. You can't do both at the same time. Spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. If you can't get it out of your mouth, do it in your heart. Start there. Start there. It's not always easy. I understand what I'm saying today. If you have years and years and years of of stuff, and people have stuff, start with you. Start in your own heart. When you read or listen to the Word of God, learning what God wants for your life, it begins to change you, and it creates forgiveness, love, and a thankful heart. If you don't have forgiveness, love, and a thankful heart, chances are you're not in God's Word enough, if at all. We get so caught up, again, in ritualistic worship, our day-to-day, we forget to put things into priority. And I know I'm kind of filling up your schedule here, but I guarantee you, if you start doing these things, time up. Because time is lighter when you're happy. Time flies, and time is like clicks along. You're not, you're not going to sit in your car and stare at the driveway and, and, and try to figure out what you're walking into if you didn't cause something to begin with. So please, get into God's Word and, and study it and, and get into a Bible study here at the church and plug into something. It's, it's helped me in my walk tremendously because it gives you accountability, too. If you're not in God's Word and you show up to the Bible study, you kind of you know, feel like a doofus because you don't know what to say. You've got to get in there and then you kind of have some answers or you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I had a thought on that, too. Even if you don't know what you're talking about because everybody will rally around you and help you. Because everybody there wants you to be better. And you're helping them because they're doing the same thing. They're studying things that they normally wouldn't study either. So get into God's Word, please. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus. Again, it's hard to get into an argument with your spouse if you're doing it in the name of of our Lord Jesus. Telling somebody off, being ugly, saying the wrong thing, saying things in anger or in spite or bringing up the past that that has no uh, application to today in the name of Jesus doesn't work. There's no power in it. And plus, it's just awkward. It, It wouldn't make any sense. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. I think Paul was also pointing out that the church advice was also good for the family. The reason why I thought that was because while I was skipping a beat, this isn't a separate letter now. This isn't like he was trying to save postage and like put two letters in one thing and they messed it up when they tried to scribe it out. He wrote it this way on purpose. He gives all of this stuff on how we should behave towards each other at church, how we should behave like towards God. And he says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Women hate that sometimes. They hate that idea. I do, I've done many weddings where you know, it's, it's about being under the husband as part of the vows. And, and I've had people ask me to change that. Take that out of there. I don't want to... Uh, get, uh. The thing is, the hard part is the next part. Husbands, love your wives and do not become bitter against them. Jesus 
also taught when we love our wives and we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we're dying for our wives every day self-sacrificing, dying. I mean, so many of us guys get macho and, you know, we think we, we would take a bullet for somebody or something. Chances are, Lord willing, you'll never have to do that, but we don't want to take the trash out when we're asked to because, you know, we're going to take a stand here. But we need to be self-sacrificing. Do stuff we don't want to do. Be there for our wives in every way we can, just like Christ was for the church. And you know what happens? Hallelujah. They can do their part and everybody's happy. If we don't do our part, you want them to follow somebody who's leading them off a cliff? It doesn't work. We have to do our part, guys. And then children, obey your parents and everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Good luck, parents. That's a tough one. Maybe the toughest verse out of most of Scripture, because kids don't listen. But neither did you when you were a kid, right? We all had our own way to go. We all made our own decisions, our own mistakes. And that's okay. But we're still supposed to be honoring our parents and obeying them when they give us direction. Jesus put it in really simple terms in Matthew. In everything, therefore, treat people in the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law of the prophets. This is how he rounded up the the last six of the Ten Commandments. Treat people how you want to be treated. It's pretty simple. Treat your spouse how you hope to be treated. And verbalize it if you don't like something. It's okay to tell somebody, listen, I don't like when you do that. And listen, guys. If they're saying it, listen, ladies. If your husband's saying it, take it to heart. And dads, this is a big one when it comes to being a father and on Father's Day. Don't antagonize. Antagonize means to provoke Provoke your children so that they will become discouraged. So often, we poke. We point things out that we don't like in a, in a, in a way it's not fruitful. We, we tell our children things that knock them down instead of lift them up. And that was done to us sometimes. I was blessed. I didn't experience that. But so many people have dealt with that. But it's not okay to keep doing As dads, we need to know what makes our child thrive, not what we think will make them thrive. We, and that's why the whole like husband-wife thing, the building part to get to here to Father's Day was so important. Because if you guys aren't on the same page, good luck raising a child without pulling every hair out of the top of your head. You guys need to be a team. You need to work together and through each other. Because mom has one perspective. Dad has a different perspective on a child. And together you can see the personality of your son or daughter. And you can understand what makes them tick. What, what, will, what you can pour on them to help them grow. And to be the best they can be. And Lord willing, through many, much, much prayer, that they find Christ. The ultimate goal. Jesus had one, one big earthly example. It's a, it's a very popular you know, story that he told. And I don't know if this is a, a specific person, but I do believe that this is a story that's been played out over and over again throughout the history of the world. The story about the, par, uh, the prodigal. And the great thing about this is it's a father-son story, but it works for, you know, you can put yourself in any character in here because we've all been 
one of these characters at some time. Man, woman, it doesn't matter. Um, we, we all can apply this part to our lives. Jesus said, uh, and Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said this to his father. Father, give me the share of the estate which is coming to me. So dad, dad didn't call him names. Dad didn't say, fine, take it and get out. And I never want to see you again. He goes, okay. Dad just gave him the money. Dad, dad, I mean, dad was still alive. He needed the money, but he gave him the money. He gave his son enough rope to go out and do whatever. And the thing is, who here's ever tried to argue with a teenager or a young adult? It doesn't work. The more you antagonize or provoke, the more they push back. The more they don't hear anymore. The blinders go up, the earmuffs go on, and it's over. So there's other ways for us to teach our kids. And one of the hardest ways is to let them go hurt themselves. Jordan Peterson, I don't know if any of you all have ever heard of him or not, but he gave a great quote because I am a helicopter grandparent. I hover over my grandkids. I, 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 I'm just way overprotective. And Jordan Peterson said a great thing. He said, never stop your kids from doing something dangerous safely. And it took me, I had to, I had to read it over and over because it made no sense to me. I'm like, well, don't go. And then it clicked. They're being careful, but they're doing something. They learn more by doing something dangerous in a careful way than they would otherwise. Now, this kid wasn't doing anything careful. He went to a foreign land and he, uh, let me see, he gathered all of his stuff together. He went on a journey to a distant country where he squandered his estate. In the King James, it says, you know, he was like running around with women and drinking and carrying on and just, you know, doing the Vegas thing, I guess, and just going crazy with himself in a far country. Now, when he had spent everything, there was a severe famine that occurred in the country. Even if there wasn't a famine, he had no more money. He squandered everything. And he began going without, without food, without any resources, so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He basically put himself into slavery. And the worst thing that could happen, the absolute bottom life that you could imagine for a Jew would be to go and have to tend to the pigs. And that's exactly what happened to him. Worst, worst case scenario for this kid. And then to make it worse, only thing he had to eat was carob pods, the pods of a Mediterranean evergreen tree that the pigs were eating. So he's sharing food with the pigs. Never mind touching them. They're not even supposed to touch them. But he's eating with them. And no one was even helping him. No one gave him a thing. But then, thank God for the floor life. Thank God for hitting rock bottom. And that's why, parents, I'm not saying in, in, that we have to be enablers. I'm not saying that we love our kids to the point where they can go ruin themselves and take you down with them. What I'm saying here today is not building walls where walls don't need to be. And if they choose to go off into a, a different, distant country, you've got to let them. Because now the next part is he came to his senses he came to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread? But I'm here dying of hunger. 
So he lost his mind and went off on his own, like most teenagers do. I mean, that's just what we do. We, we graduate. We think we know it all. I mean, we, all, we think we have everything together. Everything's going to work out perfect, just like a movie we like or whatever. The 80s was rough because every movie, everything ended up perfect at the end of every movie. So that's what we, that was our expectation. Everything's going to be just fine. It doesn't work that way, does it, though? So he lost his mind, went off his, on his own, and he hit rock bottom, and he came back to his senses when he was hungry and homeless, when he had nothing left to fall on. Now, the thing is, he's feeling it. He's sad. He's hungry. He's probably cold. He's embarrassed. So he's going to go home. But that wouldn't be enough. That would not be enough for you to be a good father or a mother to, to still help this person. Because without this next part, you're just going to reinvent the wheel and do it all over again. I will set out and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned in your sight. There's the repentance. It's not just that he's feeling sorry for himself. Because we all feel sorry when we get busted, getting, you know, when we get caught. We don't feel bad for our sin until we're caught generally. So it doesn't count if we're not sorry. Heartfelt sorry. Because this guy was willing to go back and be a hired help. He said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. The son saw the error of his ways and was ready to repent. This is the thing. that This is why we don't build the walls. This is why we don't say, get out, I never want to see you again. I understand there comes a time when maybe time and time and time and time and maybe it gets to that point. But I'm talking about you're dealing with your young child. This, is, this isn't somebody who's living their life and choosing this over and over again. This is this kid's first offense. And he must have been semi-sane when he, before he left. Because otherwise, you know, his dad gave him half of his fortune. Half of his inheritance. He hoped for forgiveness. But he was, and he was willing to take responsibility for his actions. So he set out and came to his father. This gets me every time. Um, but when he was still way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran to him and embraced his son. His dad never gave up hope. Let him go. But he never gave up hope. And he never stopped looking. And why did he run? Why did he run? Why wasn't the son running? The son's not running because I would imagine if I was in his position, I'd be like, what am I going to get when I get home? What am I going to hear? What am I, am I, am I going to have to just turn around and go back to the pig farm? What, what is happening? I'd be dragging my feet every step of the way. But dad ran to him. Just like our heavenly father runs to us when we call out to him. And the reason why was because back then, sorry kids, but if you were really bad, the town could just stone you to death. They could just take you outside of town and kill you with stones. And dad would show up later and be like, oh, I guess I have to have another son. Because there was, they could just do it. It was the law. The law in Deuteronomy 21, I believe, if my memory is right, is right there that you can stone a child for being disobedient. 
But he ran to him to protect him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the reason why I get so emotional about this is because I've been the prodigal son myself. I went years without speaking with my parents. And it's a bit harder this service because I'm I'm blessed to have my mom in the room today. Um, But she was forgiving enough to call me when my father was sick and perhaps dying. She forgave me without me even asking and gave me a window into coming back. And you know what? When I, uh, and when I walked through that door and I, and I took that chance, when my dad saw me, he didn't look at me and go, what are you doing here after all this time? I could have used you years ago. What are you doing here now? Now you're here? Are you here for the other half of your inheritance? No. My father looked at me. It was so happy. Happy to see me. He loved me regardless of what I had done and what I hadn't done. And that's who we need to be as fathers. That's who we need to be as mothers. We need to be that way to each other as husbands and wives. Forever forgiving, forever accepting. That none of us are perfect. If you find somebody who's perfect, you better hold on to him. And frankly, you give him enough time and he's going to prove himself or herself wrong. Because there's only been one perfect. That's why we always have to go back to him. Everything goes back to him. All the self-help books, again, they go back to his word. We need him. So he hugged him and he gave him a kiss. But you know what? His dad uh, saw him because he was actively, actively looking. He had compassion. And then he ran. Didn't walk. He ran. But notice the dad didn't go, come in, son. Everything's okay now. I'm so glad you're home. He welcomed him. He gave him a hug. He protected him from the possible mob. But he didn't say, everything's okay. He just let him know he loved him. But now the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be your son. But what does the dad do? Because there's the repentance, right? There's the forgiveness. Oh, you can't give forgiveness to somebody who isn't looking for it. That repentance is key to that relationship being healed. You can't, you can't just let somebody keep going on that carousel. Nothing changes. Repentance has to be there. And when the father got repentance, what did he say? No. Now, you, you, you squandered it all. I can't believe you, you showed your face back in town. No, dad wasn't sarcastic. Dad wasn't ugly. He, I guarantee you, he smiled at him and said to his slaves, bring out my best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger to show who he was. I, picture, I figure there's a picture there of wedding almost because we're the bride. And this is how God sees us. He puts a ring on us when, we're, when we accept him and we become his bride. And he puts sandals on his feet. His son was barefoot at this point and destitute and broken. And bring the fatted calf, slaughter it, and let's eat and celebrate. That's the father. That's our father. 
And if you didn't have a father like that on earth, you have a father like that in heaven. And that father in heaven is an example that we can follow here on earth. He's given us his word. All of this word is meant so that we can be the best we can be. We can emulate him the best way we can and fail. And then that's when the grace and the forgiveness comes in. Because we can lift each other up instead of kicking each other in the knees. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. And he was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. There's a celebration in heaven. I believe that that, that part there tells us every time somebody accepts Christ, there's a celebration in heaven. Because this is our relationship with him. We're lost until we're found. Have you found him? I hope you have. Only you know that. All the, all the church attendance, all the things, all the giving, none of that stacks up to a hill of beans if you don't know him. So what kind of a person do you want to be? I use that word person on, on purpose. I know it's a Father's Day part of the message, but I use that word person on purpose because it, this works for all of us. It's okay to not be... Not, I had trouble with this the first service. I don't know how to read my own writing. It's okay to not be where you need to be as long as you're really working on it. And here comes that word again, repentance. Go home. Apologize. Apologize in the car in the parking lot and, and, and ask for forgiveness. And also, give it. Because I'm sure it's a back and forth thing like people do in life. It's, we, we break each other down. But you have to start today. Don't wait till tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow is. Between now and tomorrow, your mind's going to make up a ton of excuses and a ton of reasons why you shouldn't bother because they did this. Don't give in to it. Be the, be, you take that first step. Because even if you start small or if you start poorly or wrong or awkwardly, it's not okay to be what you were before you found Christ. And it's not okay to, be, to do something because it was always done to you or that's just how it's always been. Some of us may not have had the best fathers. Some of us may not have had the best bringing up situations. Some of you may not have had fathers at home. But I'm telling you what, right the wrongs. Use God's word. Line yourself up with other people. Talk to people. Talk to people and ask for help. Even if it seems too big or there's too many walls, too much damage, and these things have been done, start where you are. Start today. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on the relationships you have. You know, my, my wife and I, we've talked about it, and we've been so blessed to have such a good relationship with our kids. And after lessons learned in my life, like what I just said, we are determined, no matter what happens, we will chase our kids to the end of the earth. We'll chase our grandkids to the end of the earth. And we're not going to allow them to be, be bad people. Praise God we haven't faced anything like that. But we're going to chase them. If we, if we wrong them, we're going to chase them and make it right. Family fixes today. And uh, I just would pray with you this morning, especially if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior. Uh, none of this really applies to you today if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior. Because this is hard work. 
All of this stuff we talked about today, I couldn't do by myself. I need him. I need him and I need the, the, those gifts we spoke about early on. I want people to see him, not me. So this morning, if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, I beg you to search your heart. Pray about it. We're going to pray together here in just a moment. Pray along with me. If you have questions, come see me. You don't have to understand it all. It's a matter of faith. Okay? Faith is the belief in things unseen. So it's a simple prayer. It's a believer's prayer. And uh, again, if, you've not, if you don't remember a time when you asked Christ into your life, pr- please, please pray with me. Come see me. Talk to somebody else. Talk to anybody. Just make sure you, you have this locked in. This is, nothing's more important than your walk with Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for your message today. Thank you for blessing us, for your word, for taking care of us, Lord, and giving us options that we don't even know are there, Lord. Thank you for spelling things out so plainly in your word. And help us, O oh Lord, to, to turn to you and not to other things. These things will work, Lord. And Lord, and even if we hit brick walls in our lives where, the, where we're the only one in our homes trying, help us to do it unto you, Lord. Help us to do it for you. And may, and may fruit come from it, Lord. May others see my, my diligence and my work so that they may honor you, Lord, and come to you in repentance. And Lord, for those that, are, that don't know you personally today, Lord, if they don't know you, I just ask you, Lord, to soften their heart. And have them pray with me now that, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I've sinned and I've fallen short of of the perfected mark that you've set for me to enter heaven, Lord. And without you, there's no chance of heaven. I am doomed to a devil's hell without you, Lord. I know I'm a sinner. But I believe in you, Lord. I believe you died and rose on the third day. I don't understand how you did it. Frankly, I don't know why you did it, Lord but I believe it. And Lord, I choose you. I choose you into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, Lord. And not only forgive me of my sins, Lord, I repent of my sins. I ask you, Lord, to help me every day not sin anymore. Lord, help me to emulate you, to be you to others. And Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. We say this all in your holy, holy of names. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so very much. Y'all are a blessing. Pastor Gary will be back next week. God bless you all.